Good morning, Church on the Hill. I feel like I say it the same every single time. Um, Go ahead and stand up. Let's worship. Darkness tries to roll over my bones And sorrow comes to steal the joy I And brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance with
All right. Amen. You guys believe that? All right. Go ahead and be seated. Well, my name is Ashley Summers, and I'm just telling you, if I came in this morning and I heard this band playing, they're pretty good. I'd probably go to this church. I'm just telling you. We'll see how the preacher does in just a little, just a little bit. So, well, welcome to Church on the Hill. Again, we're all about helping people know God and want to help them find freedom, discover their purpose, and play their role in God's story. Um, normally, we'd help you do that with something called Life Track. Since that's not happening today, just forget I even said it. That'll start again in January, all right? So uh, if you're new around here, we're so glad that you're here. Um, just make yourselves at home. We would love for you to take out that Connect card in the pew back in front of you and fill that out. Um, we'd love to have some information because we've got a lot of junk mail, and we're going to email you to death. So just if you can... That's a joke, people. Just... We'd love to have some information so we, we can uh, reach out to you guys. Um, if you flip that over, I uh, know there's a lot of prayer requests. Um, all of us carry different burdens. Fill that out and turn those in so we can pray for you. And let us know what God's doing in your life. Um, if you've got something great and you want to say, man, God has done this in my family, in my life, let us know. We want to celebrate that with you as well, okay? All right, well, today is a donation day for Hope on the Hill, so if you got change, you can dump it out there uh, in the outside. They've got a little um, bucket out there. You can fill that up. Um, also, um, money that doesn't make any noise, that's also acceptable. You can throw that out there as well. And if you brought your clothes today to drop off, you can take it down to the commons right after this service, and they're out there freezing, waiting for you to drop off all these awesome clothes for Hope on the Hill, okay? All right, baptism classes are coming up. I can't remember when they are. There's a bunch of them. But you guys can uh, open your worship guide. It'll tell you about that and when baptism's coming. And then there's one more thing I'm supposed to talk about. Kids family movie night. This is the Grinch. Apparently this is the good Grinch, not the bad Grinch movie. I don't know. I slept through half of this one. But it's probably really good. And uh, it was just been a rough day for me. But you guys uh, sign up for this. Bring your kids out. Uh, 6 p.m. on the 13th, and it's going to be a great time in the foundry, all right? Well, let's all stand together one more time. Everybody put a big smile on your face, even if you have to fake it, and turn to somebody and make them feel welcome this morning.
about God's goodness the past couple weeks and that and, and, and his character he is so steadfast and true and and good he is good he's always good he can never be anything but good and that's really easy to claim when it feels good or when life is good It's a lot harder to claim when it doesn't feel good. And I know that this is not a new revelation. But it's hard. And yet, when life isn't good, or it's hard to see his goodness, or it doesn't feel good, that is when we need to claim and hold on to that the most. God, 
as much as I don't really want to sing and dance and shout that you are good today. I choose to claim it because your character is true. You are steadfast. You are good. You are always good. You can never be anything but good. Even when I don't feel it, even when I can't see it, you don't change. You are steadfast. You are unwavering. Even when I'm not. And so, God, we thank you. And we do claim and declare your goodness this morning. Despite the circumstances. And we know that you are a God that when we want to be in your presence, you don't shut us out. And so we want your presence this morning. We love you. Amen.
playing. Lindsay, thank you for being, speaking our hearts, speaking truth and realness. Sometimes around the holiday season too, it's a season of joy, but it's also, it can be a season of, man, I just got this curveball and I'm not sure how I can take another step or a breath. Mm. If you find yourself there this morning, Just rest, just rest in our Lord and Savior. And let our, our God breathe new life, new hope. Let our God carry you, me, us. When we feel like we can't take that step, we can't get out of bed in the morning maybe. We, we don't know if we can go to work because it's just, wow, hard. I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a community of faith where we care for each other, where we serve each other, where we pray for each other, where we give each other an encouraging word, or where we just sit in silence and just be present with someone who may be suffering or hurting. Thank you for being that kind of community of faith, community of faith of grace, love, and presence. Oh God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth, God. As we will see today, you you make a, a very strong statement of who you are. You are the God who frees. You are the God who rescues. You are the God who brings us out of bondage. You are the God who gives new life, new meaning. Oh God, help us to rest in that truth. In your mighty name we pray and ask, amen. You may be seated. Well, for those of you who may be guests with us today, I know it's Thanksgiving weekend and people are traveling here, there, and everywhere. And if you're traveling and being with family uh, here in McMinnville, we welcome you. Uh, and, 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 and we've just been, over the last few months, we have been looking at these 10 love instructions that God has given to us. And, and you may know them better as the 10 commandments. I like to look at them as the 10 love instructions. And, and as, I, as I was thinking this week, a, a, question, a question popped into my mind. Does anybody really follow 
these 10 love instructions completely. Has anyone? Well, you may say Jesus, Pastor Dave. But Jesus, yeah, fully God, fully man. That's, um, okay, Jesus. But let me tell you a little bit about this Jesus guy. Let me put his living on this earth in perspective for you. Let me, let me explain a little bit about how this Jesus operates in this world, which may be an encouragement to us because we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Have this attitude. And what is this attitude? Well, we'll see in a moment what kind of attitude this is. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Do you know what it means to be a bondservant? Some of you may know, some of you may not know. It's different than being a slave. And let's, let, me, let me explain this one to you. In, in this time, in, in, in the first century, in Jesus' time, when he was living here physically on this earth, there were slaves, there were servants. And at, 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 any, at a moment in time, you were given a right to be free if you worked in a particular type of household. And you had a choice. I can go free or you may like the person you serve, your boss, your master, and you may choose. No, 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 no. I want to serve my boss forever. And so you make this willing decision to become that person's bondservant. And a lot of times people would get their ear pierced to show that. That's what it means to be a bondservant. I'm willingly going to serve you for the rest of my life. That's what Jesus did, taking the form of a bondservant. Who is Jesus going to serve while he's physically here on this earth? Well, it's God the Father. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. And this is the attitude that we're talking about. Have this same attitude. It's an attitude of humility because when we have that attitude, God can work with us. God can enable us to be who God has called us to be. So he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to who? Well, God the Father. To the point of death, even death on the cross. So what does this mean? Well, in part, it means that when Jesus came to us, when the word became flesh, as the gospel of John puts it, God the Son chose to lay down certain of his divine attributes. What does that mean, Pastor Dave? Well, I like to think of it this way. When life got tough from a human perspective, Jesus chose not to play the God card. Jesus chose to live live life on the same terms as you and me. Working through life with this commitment to do the will of God the Father at every step of the way and trusting that the Holy Spirit would help him do that. And in doing so, he showed us in the flesh, in human form, he showed us what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he loved, he loved his neighbor with a love of sacrifice for their sake, a love of action for their benefit, and a love of forgiveness that let go of all past wrongs. And he showed us that we can trust the Holy Spirit who will enable us to do so. So I think we can agree that Jesus for sure was someone who lived these 10 love instructions completely. Anybody else come to mind? One does for me. 
It's that young rich guy. You, you guys know about, you guys know the young rich guy. You guys know the young rich guy? He's talked about, he interacts with Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask you to put yourself in the shoes of this rich young guy for the minute because there may be some of us here who think, yeah, you know what, I, I live these 10 love instructions. I mean, I don't, I don't covet anymore. I, I don't bear, I don't, I think I don't gossip anymore. I don't, I don't murder anybody. I don't steal. La da 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 da. So as we walk through this interaction, I want you to sit and wrestle and, and see if you may be more like this rich young guy than you may think. This is what we're told. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19. And someone, and we're going to learn that it's this rich young guy, and someone came to him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Thinks he's got to do something to get it. And he, Jesus, said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Jesus, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in essence, Jesus is just summarizing 10 love instructions and all these other instructions that God had, had given to the Israelites. This young man, and we're going to learn in a minute that he, he's a rich guy, he's a rich, rich young guy, said to him, Jesus, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? What am I missing? And it's very interesting to know. It's very important to understand that during this time period, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people actually believed that if you kept these 10 love instructions and the other instructions of God in the Old Testament, that was your entry card into heaven. And yet this rich young guy who believes that he has kept them all is sensing that that may not be enough. Hmm. Something's, something's not right. Something's missing. I sense it in my soul, in my spirit. And so he asks Jesus, what am I missing? I sense it. And Jesus responds in verse 21. If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's an invitation that Jesus has given to a number of people as we read in the different gospels. He said it to every one of his disciples, come, hey, come, hey, come follow me, no matter what they were doing. If they were fishermen, hey, drop that, stop that, and come follow me. Matthew, the tax collector who's writing this, no, 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 stop doing that, come follow me. I have something else for you. I have something more for you. I want to use you in a different way. Come on, come follow me. And he, he looks, he must have seen something in this this rich young guy, and he says to him the same thing. Hey, put that to this. Come, come follow me. Verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Which makes me then ask the question is, was he someone who actually followed these 10 love instructions? Did he have an idol that he had elevated above God? See, Jesus isn't saying here that being rich is a bad thing, a wrong thing. I mean, in fact, Jesus hung with, with rich folks. He, he, he hung in a group of people with these rich women who actually supported him and his disciples. So, 
this man's wealth wasn't the real issue here. It's what his wealth meant to him. That's the issue. It seems that his wealth was his identity, his status, his scorecard. It's kind of like getting all A's on your report card. Good for getting into the right university. Good for maybe getting the right job. Good for maybe living the American dream. Uh, Good for keeping score against everyone else. Maybe really good, really impressive for climbing the ladder of life until you realize that your ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. You see, Jesus exposed a blind spot in this man's life. Jesus' question in this rich young guy's answer revealed that he had an idol in his life. And his idol was wealth and maybe even power too. And so Jesus asks him to give up that idol. And remember, we talked last week what an idol is. An idol is anything that we ask to do what only God can do for us. And it appears that this rich young guy was looking for wealth to give him his identity, his security, and hence he grieved that Jesus' invitation. Now I'm going to have to maybe trust. And so Jesus invites him, like he does for all of us, to give up that idol, to give up, in his case, wealth, so that you can be free. Free to do what? Free to live the life that God has created us to live. Free to play our particular role in God's story. Free to allow God to use us to bring healing and restoration to everyone in our sphere of influence. Free to help this world become a more godly place. If he did that, though, if he left what he knew, if he left his identity, his security, and came and followed Jesus, that would mean probably that he was going to have to become dependent on other people, maybe even these rich women traveling in Jesus' group. Quite a come down for someone who was used to other people coming to him for help. But I think that that is what it means to follow Jesus. What, what do I mean when I say that? That is what it means to follow Jesus. Well, again, Jesus... Jesus was co-equal with God the Father, right? He, he was God, but, but what did he do? He humbled himself, and he became a bond servant. Jesus' sole desire was to do the will of God the Father, to know it and to do it. Seems like this young, rich guy was only willing to humble himself by admitting that something was missing in his life. Maybe, maybe he just thought his life needed to be tweaked a little bit. But Jesus isn't interested in just tweaking our lives. Jesus wants to completely transform us from the inside out. Are you guys... (laughs) Jesus isn't interested in just tweaking you. Jesus wants to completely transform us so that we are a walking testimony of Jesus Christ. So Jesus asks him, Jesus invites him to come live this new way, a whole new way of living, to think differently, to think in kingdom terms, to think in a different way about his life and his purpose. No, you were made for more than just making wealth. 
I want to use you to further God's kingdom here on earth. And I think, and you may agree or disagree, but I think what these, it's what these love instructions are really all about. It's about uh, showing us a new way to live. It's about a whole new way to live. And so God rescues these Israelites who were slaves, who forgot what it was to be human. And he says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. And then I want to use you to change the world. I want you to show the world that there's a different way to live than the Egyptian way. Egyptian way, exploit people to get ahead. No, God's way is we live for the best interest of each other. And as you follow me, as you live my way, I am going to, I am going to cleanse you and change you from the inside out so that you are a walking testimony of who I am. So that when people see you, they will see me. So when people see you, they will know who this God is, what this God cares about, and who this God cares about. Now, if you've ever been part of AA or NA or any recovery group, anybody here ever been? I remember the, I went to NA, and, and I went to NA, and, and the first time I went to NA, I, I said, hey, uh, I'm a guest here. And they all looked at me and they're like, yeah, right. Uh, we all said that uh, when we came for the first time. But seriously, no, it was, it was, my, it was, my, first, it was my first time. I was, I was just visiting. I don't think they believed me there. But if you've ever been part of AANA or some type of recovery group, then you know that the ultimate goal is not to just stop drinking or taking drugs or whatever. The ultimate goal is to have a spiritual awakening. Living a sober life is so much more than not drinking. It's a whole new way to live. It's about becoming less selfish, less self-centered, and learning to serve other alcoholics who may still be struggling. It's about admitting that I've done some bad things. I've I've wronged some people. It's about asking for forgiveness. And it's... It's about asking God to remove any defects in my life so that I can stop doing what I do not want to do. Of course, for that to happen, an alcoholic must first stop drinking. So I think that these 10 love instructions are about way more than just not doing certain things. I mean, if all they wrote on my tombstone was didn't covet, didn't commit adultery, didn't steal, it's not really a eulogy to be proud of. But I think that that may have been what was written on this rich young guy's tombstone if he would have died then. The guy who didn't do the don'ts. Even he knew that that wasn't supposed to be the sum total of his life. He he knew that there was something more. I wonder if he couldn't realize what God had for him, his God purpose, until he left his idol, wealth. And so Jesus invites him to do just that. Leave what you worship and come follow me. Come follow me with these other folks who are following me in this this community of faith, in this fellowship of believers, and together we will show the world what it means to live God's way.
to be and do Jesus in every way, in every day, together. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? My, my alcoholic friend um, that I talked about last week, you know, the guy that, um, that made alcohol his, his idol. Uh, alcohol is what he turned to when, when he was in pain, to numb that pain. It was his escape. That's how he relaxed. He couldn't string, my friend couldn't string many alcohol-free days together because in any given day, he was incapable of changing his heart. You see, alcohol wasn't the underlying issue in his life. His heart was. He needed a power greater than himself, that is God, to do what he couldn't do, transform his heart. And so as he learned to start living in the care of God, as he worked through the steps, he experienced God doing for him what he couldn't do for himself. And his compulsion to drink was completely eliminated from his life. You see, this is the God who frees. God is the God who frees. Can you say that with me? God is the God who frees. Do you believe that? This is how God wants to be known and wants to be remembered. When, you, when we typically talk about these Ten Commandments, again, I like to talk about them as love instructions, we typically don't even focus on the opening statement, what God says before he even gives them. And I think that's a mistake because I think it's so critical for us to understand who God is, how God wants to be known, how God wants to be remembered. And so this is what God says to the Israelites, says to us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, before he gives us these instructions, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When God speaks to these former slaves standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, why does God choose to identify God's self in this way? Why not? I'm the creator of all. I, I am the, the, the Lord of heaven and earth. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. Why? Why I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I think the reason is, is because, again, this is how God wants to be remembered. This is how God wants to be known. He wants to be known as the God who frees people from slavery. In the Israelites' case, actual slavery. This is the God who wants to be known as the God who frees people from any type of bondage, any type of stronghold that the evil one may have on you. God doesn't want you living there. God has more for you. This is the God who frees. Say that with me again. God is the God who frees. This is how God wants to be known, and this is how God wants to be remembered. And the God who freed these particular slaves, these, these people in Israel, these Israelites, the God who freed them from the Egyptians, then gives them these 10 love instructions to structure their community life together. 
He says, I'm making a bold statement with you. My reputation is on the line with you, Israelites. I told you back in Exodus 19 that I've, I told you what your big purpose is. You are to be a kingdom of priests. You are to be a holy nation. You are to show the world that there's a different way than the Egyptian way. You're to show the world that we, that we don't exploit the poor and the powerless. No, we come around the poor and the weak and the powerless. We give them opportunity. When you live my way, no one's basic needs ever go unmet. Everyone in my kingdom, everyone in my kingdom is fed. No one goes without Everyone in my kingdom gets the rest they need. Everyone in my kingdom gives that encouraging word that they need. I want, you to sh- I want you to show everyone in this world that this is so much better to live this life of peace and gentleness and kindness where we encourage each other, where we look out for the best interest of each other, where everyone flourishes. Come on, I want you to be that people. And God is saying that to the Israelites there, but he's saying that to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ today. I want to use you to show the world that there is a better way to live than the American way or the Chinese way or the English way or the Mexican way or the Guatemalan way. Are are you you guys following me this morning? God wants to use the Israelites to make a very bold statement. I want you to show the world that there's a different worldview. The Egyptian worldview is simply this, that the gods, that is those shiny gods that we talked about last week that the Egyptians had, those gold and silver gods, The Egyptians said, these gods have ordained a select few to have the wealth and the power, and everyone else has to follow those who are in power, and if you don't, we'll put you in chains. God says, that's not how I've created things in this world to be. It's not. And so I want you to show the world a different worldview, where we live for the best interest of each other. Now, these Israelites, as history has shown us, they didn't do an excellent job of living these 10 love instructions. As we talked about last week, they were ones who frequently embraced idolatry. That is, they started to worship something other than the one true God, which led them down to bad paths, and they became slaves. They started to live in bondage to all kinds of things, and they went back into a very dark pit. It's what happens when we turned to something other than God and ask it to do what only God can do for us, heal and restore. Are you with me? The Apostle Paul also acknowledges that living God's way isn't easy. In fact, it's actually impossible on our own. Listen to what Paul says here in in Romans chapter 7, beginning of verse 14. And I'm going to read it from the paraphrase in the message because I just just love how how it grasps Paul's concept here. This is what we're told. I can anticipate, Paul says this, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? And we all said, yes. 
I'm full of myself, after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands is necessary. It is God's word is necessary. We all agree that God's word is necessary to show us how to, to live and be like and do like Jesus. Okay, but Paul says, I need something more than just God's word and written down. I actually need the word. That's Jesus Christ. We'll get to that. But I need something more, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Anyone ever been there? My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. As I read this passage, I almost wonder, is Paul an addict? Because, no, seriously, I mean, if you've ever been an addict, do you know what Paul's talking about here? If you've ever been someone who has been in the bondage of sin, you know what Paul's talking about here. So I think that we all can relate in some way. Fair enough? So Paul says this, verse 24. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope because I can't do it on my own here. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And the issue that Paul is forcing us to wrestle with is, is what I call the gap issue. And, and, and that, that's the gap between the things we want to do and what we actually do. It's the gap between our words, what we say we want to do, and our actual living. And that can be a struggle. So I like to think of these 10 love instructions sometimes like a two-edged sword. They show us how we are to live. And that first cut is when we realize, whoa, I'm pretty far away from living that way. Maybe over these last few months as we've walked through each one, maybe uh, you've wrestled with that. Holy smokes, I, I thought that I thought, but now, whoa, I'm not there. And that's the first cut. The second cut happens when we actually start to, to make a change, to actually, to actually try to live these 10 love instructions, and we realize that we can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it alone. And so we cry out like Paul did. Go back to that slide. Verse 24, I've tried everything. I've tried going to church. I've tried getting into a group. I've tried putting post-its on my mirror. 
Nothing seems to help. I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. Is, is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then Paul gives us that answer in verse 25. Hey, coming to community faith is great, and it will encourage. Being in a small group is, that, that's awesome. That, that's good. It, God may use some of those folks to convict us and maybe encourage us. But Paul gets to the, to the answer here in verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Mm. When I'm stressed, I find myself wanting to use my tongue to cut someone I may love. I don't know if you've ever been there to speak words of death. As Jenna talked to us again a few weeks ago, we may not actually murder someone, but we may murder their spirit and their heart with our words. Therefore, Paul tells us next verse happens to be in Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just want to tell you that again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, those who submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ have been set free and are no longer condemned to live a life of death. That is, to live a life of broken relationships. That is, to live a life of hell on earth. Are you guys, are you guys with me here? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. My friends, Jesus Christ came to rescue everyone, anyone, from any bondage, from any stronghold, from any sin, Anyone, anyone, the serial killer, to those of us who fudge on our taxes, anyone, anyone. Everyone, Christ died, rose victorious over sin and death to set us free. What do we need to do, Jesus? What am I missing? The rich young guy asks. I sense something in my heart. It just doesn't seem right. Jesus, in essence, says, what's missing is your submission. That's it. Just submit to me. Abandon your life to me. 
and I will make you well. I will free you. I will resurrect you. I will give you new life, new meaning, new purpose. Here I am abandoned, right? You are all I need. You are all I seek. It's standing before God and just saying, have your way with me. Have your way. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I'm going to give you an opportunity to sit in the presence of God and allow God to have God's way with you today. I want you to actually say this question as you sit in the presence of God. If, if you feel any stirring in your spirit, if you just feel like things aren't right, hey, if you're good, I mean, if you are in good stead, then I'm just gonna ask you to just pray for God's spirit to work in those of us who just have some struggle points in life. Will you do that with me as a brother and sister in Christ? And so for those of us who who just feel like something's missing, I want you to actually say this. I want you to ask this question to God. God, what is missing? What am I missing? Take a moment and ask. And after you've asked, I want you to sit and let God speak. Let God identify any area in your life that may be elevated above God. Let God identify if you have any idols, like this young rich guy. Maybe it is wealth. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it is some type of a lust issue. Maybe it is a words issue. You need God to do some heart surgery this morning. To do what you can't do for yourself. Transform your heart. So sit and let God speak. God, we come to you this morning sensing that there's something missing, sensing that we're a little sideways here in life. And so we're asking, and we know when we ask, you are a God who hears. 
So continue to speak to us, God. Mm, and maybe, maybe as you continue to speak this week, things are brought to our attention that we need to submit to you. But this morning, what we're saying is, is we just want you to have your way with us. Mm, we're sorry for being a divisive people, maybe. We're sorry for using words of death. We're sorry for violating commitments and vows. We're sorry for, for putting our security in something other than you, God. Finding our identity in something other than you, God. God, we're, we're living in a prison right now of bitterness, perhaps because someone wronged us and we're living in this pit. Oh, and it's killing our spirit and our soul, God. Please help us to just release that bitterness now so that we can live this life that you've created us to live, God. Whatever our particular issue is, God, we're just coming before you completely abandoned, just saying, you are all we seek. You are all we need. Oh, God, have your way with me. God, please hear our prayer. Please empower us with your Holy Spirit. Please mend our broken hearts. Please sanctify us through and through. Make us a holy people in word and deed, God. May we reflect your image every day in every way. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. Will you stand with me this morning? And may this song, may this song be the, the prayer of your hearts, one moment in your presence. Changes everything. Will you stand as Lindsay leads us in the song?
this morning, if, if you're someone who just, man, said, man, I want to follow this God. I want to go all in on this God. Pew back in front of you, we do have a decision card. If you could just fill that out, give us your name and contact info because our pastoral team, I, I'd like to follow up with you. I'd like to start the journey with you. Uh, we don't have to live alone. Run we're on God's team together. The, the, just in case you didn't know, the winning team. The team that lives forever in right relationship with God and with everyone else who makes God the Lord of your life. Or are you guys following me? And so if you're someone who, who wants to chat a little bit more about what, how God may have spoke to you, know that we'll have some of our pastoral team up at the front after the service. Well, some of our pastoral team and prayer team in our prayer room right out here to the right that love to dialogue with you and just pray with you. Just be a sounding board just to listen. The rich young guy asks a question, what am I missing? Jesus, as Jesus does, he answers it. He names it. You have an idol. You need to turn from it. You need to come follow me and your life will never be the same. And this rich young guy, ah, and he went away grieving. What a bogus way to live grieving because you know there's something more but you're so afraid to leave who you are to find who you are in Christ you guys follow me this morning 
Oh, my friends, ask the question. Allow God to give you an answer. And then come, follow this God who created you. Who has your best interest at heart. I stand before you this morning and can testify that living the God adventure, living your God purpose, there is no other life like it. I am a person of God joy because I said yes when Jesus said, come follow me. (laughs) And so when curveballs come in life, when tragedies strike, when things don't work out the way that you wanted, and guess what? That will happen in this life. I am so glad that I am a follower of Jesus Christ because when those times come, I can withstand and stand firm in my Lord and Savior and let him carry me. Are you with me this morning? Oh God, we come to you as a people who desire to be transformed by you. Do the heart surgery that's necessary Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Purify us in every way. May we be a walking testimony of who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. You're dismissed to go and be God's people.